mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning. If you will remember with me, we are in the upper room, uh, typically the, called the upper room discourse. I believe it ended last week, personally, even though he's continuing the same discourse. Notice in 1431... B, he says, arise, let us go from here. So they're getting up from the upper room. They're going out. And as they're walking through Jerusalem, they get into lower Jerusalem. And Jesus begins chapter 15. Because why is that significant? In lower Jerusalem, as, as you go through it, before you would go out the gate and go across the brook Kedron and into the Garden of Gethsemane, into the vineyard, the, the, the garden. I don't know if you guys know that Gethsemane is, it means olive press. And so you would take Gethsemane and you squeeze the oil, the Holy Spirit, out of the olive. That's what you do. It means olive press. And that's what's really happening in the garden. He's going to begin to be squeezed and the pressure is put on. And he's going to go to the cross and die and then send the Holy Spirit back. And that's what this text is really about is us bearing fruit because of what he has said with the Holy Spirit leading us and watering us. So as they get up and he says, arise and Christ will give you life. Awake from the dead. But then what happens? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. What are you supposed to do then? Find out what the will of the Lord is for your life. How do you do that? You be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because if you're not looking to listen to the Spirit of God and walk with the Spirit of God following Him, then you're not going to bear any fruit. Listen to me. He just cleansed the room. Remember that? There's only one person in the room that had his own plan that was entangled with the affairs of this life so he couldn't please him who called him to be a soldier because he was entangled. He wanted 30 pieces of silver. He went out and it was dark. And as soon as Jesus cleansed the room, then he begins working on cleansing his people, his sheep, those of his pasture. And he continues to instruct them. And now they're arising. And what are they going to do? What's salvation about? Listen to me. He's delivering us from the sin nature. But where's he delivering them to right now? He's taking them back to the garden, back to the vineyard. That's where they're going. Listen, what happened? We need to understand this. This is about growing and becoming like Christ. And it's impossible to grow like Christ and be like him unless you have the Holy Spirit of promise. 
He seals you. And then he begins to wash you and cleanse you. And Jesus is going to give us an entire dissertation in 15 about bearing fruit. It is expected. Listen, fruit is expected in the Christian life. Just like it was in the garden, what happened? In the beginning, what did God do? He's in a garden, right? And he took some dirt and he moved it around. What do you do in a garden? You prepare the soil, you till it, you turn it over, and then he planted a seed in it. What happened? Man came out of the soil and he breathed the breath of life in him. And he began to have this relationship where they're walking together. They're enjoying one another. There's this great relationship going on where the man is obeying. And the man is doing the work of the ministry. And he's, he's hanging out with God every day. And God says, everything I have done is good. But for man to be alone is not good. So he causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. What happens when he wakes up? There's a helper there to help him. Listen, if you've awakened, there's a helper to help you. It's the Holy Spirit of promise. But guess what? The enemy's going to attack. The enemy's going to attack. There's going to be another voice to test you, and you have a choice to make here in the garden. Am I going to listen to God's voice and be led by His Spirit and bear fruit worthy of repentance, or am I going to listen to a lie who's trying to steal my inheritance steal my relationship with God, and I'm going to bear bad fruit that leads to death and goes to hell. Listen to me. There's the law of reaping and sowing. And whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind, the wrath of God. If you just don't even care whether you bear fruit or not. A garden. Choices were made. Choices were made. Adam decided not to obey. He didn't protect the woman. The woman had a conversation with a serpent. See, that serpent just keeps hiding himself. He moves himself. You see it as you go through the scripture. He moved to the Tower of Babel. Then he moved into government when they rejected God and they wanted a king. He moves into government. And then government begins to take over. And the serpent's just hiding himself. And he uses a different voice. What's his voice? It's the word of, it's the, it's the earthly, central, demonic wisdom that gives you a different word than the word of life, than the word of truth. It gives you a different word. And you let that word be planted in your heart and you're going to be just like Judas and you're going to go out of the upper room and it's going to be dark because you're entangled in the affairs of this life and you cannot please God if you are because you are only going to bear bad fruit. Think about it for a minute because when you think about it, last week we were in where? We were, we were in uh, Genesis 19. In John, one person went out and it was dark. Genesis 19, what happened? God came to take out, to catch up, to pull out anybody that was listening and bearing any fruit whatsoever by faith. Lot was bearing fruit. 
How do we know? Because in 19.3, they said, ever since you come in here to sojourn with us, you've been trying to judge us. You've been trying to tell us. You've been trying to say stuff against what we do. And we'll do the same thing to you also that we're going to do to them. See, we know that Lot has been talking. He's hanging out in the wrong place. He's doing the wrong thing, but he's been a witness with the word. He's been speaking, and that's what we're supposed to do. We dig a little deeper. We see it wasn't how he was living because he was living wrong. But he was saying something about God or they wouldn't have been mad at him. And then God took one man out, one man and his family out. And the Bible calls him righteous lot. And in the New Testament, when he comes to set stuff right, one man goes out, none lost but the son of perdition, Judas. Because his heart was still set on this world. His heart was still set on the things of this world. And he would not change that. He would rather have silver coin than the salvation of God, which is represented by silver in the Bible. Falsehood. The false voice. Which voice are you listening to today? See, the seed that's planted is the word of God. And we're expected to bear fruit. And, and how you let God turn over the soil of your heart decides whether you're going to bury, whether you're going to have 30, 60, or 100 fold in fruit. Now, I believe that the fruit of John 15 is not just Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. But I believe it's also souls. I believe it's what happens as you surrender and you die and you become the seed that's in the ground crucified with Christ. It grows up with the breath of life in it. It begins to look like Christ and it automatically begins to move like Christ. And why did Christ come? To save souls, the ministry of reconciliation of souls. This is the garden of God. This is the vineyard of God. And there's many types in the Bible, metaphors used, the fig tree, the, 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 the uh, uh, olive tree, and the vine. Or you can go to Judges 9 and you could be the bramble bush led by man, led by Abimelech, led by earthly, central, demonic wisdom. Or you can listen to what God says. And you can be in his garden and begin to bear fruit. But the enemy's trying to steal our inheritance. And so when Jesus comes, what he's saying here in John 15, let's just read. You might be familiar. You might be a Berean. You might have read ahead. But 15.1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, purgeth, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm stopping right there. Don't even know if I can get that much finished. 
Father, we give you praise. We ask that you would help us to understand what you are saying to the church by the power of your Holy Spirit. Shut down all the physical faculties, Lord, and we ask that your Spirit would speak to our souls and we would hear your voice, you would know us, and we would follow you. That we would bear fruit that would remain. It would not lose the Holy Spirit's watering, but it would keep growing and maturing as children should, as crops do until the harvest when you come. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is a garden that life began in, a vineyard, you could call it. And God wants us to have fellowship with him, but he's also given us free will. He's given us a choice. And so he allows another voice to be there, a choice. And when you choose him, he has all authority. All the power of heaven and earth is with him. All authority has been given to him. Matthew 28, 18. And he gives us direction to go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's not going to leave us. He's leading us into heaven. In fact, positionally, we're seated there already. Practically, we're walking it out. He did the same thing with the nation of Israel. Listen to me. See, because he did it with Adam and Eve. And what they do, they listen to another voice. He comes to Ur of Chaldean and he takes Abram, his name means father, Abram, and he says, follow me. That's what he said to him. Go to a place I will show you. He brings him out of pagan worship. Abram didn't follow perfectly. He took Lot with him. He took his dad with him. They go to a place called Haran, which is dry. That's what it means, dry. Because there's no spirit there, the quenching of the spirit because he's not obeying. And then when his dad dies and he got his inheritance, he moved a little bit further. And Lot was still with him, but he moved into the area where God wanted him to be. And God says to him, look at this. I'll give you all of this. And this is where he really separates Lot, the flesh and the spirit. We were there last week, chapters 18 and 19 of Genesis. He says, he says you look at all of this. This is yours. And so Abraham has a choice to make about the inheritance. What am I going to do? So he looks at Lot and he says, hey, whatever side you want, you take. And whichever way you go, I'm going the other way. Because there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. And Lot is a type of the flesh. And Abraham is a type of the spirit leading the man of God to obey God, to bear fruit. And how much fruit did he bear through Isaac? By listening to God? As many people as the sand of the sea. When he died and he listened and tried to follow God by the power of the Spirit, as many as the stars of the sky. They, you can't count the children that came out of him listening to God because of God's faithfulness. Not because of Abraham's faithfulness. Because of God's faithfulness. Because God is the one that's doing this, but we have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to listen to God or listen to the devil? The other voice, the other path, the other way. See, because the devil, all he's trying to do is steal your inheritance. 
You have an inheritance. God's already died for the whole world. All the sin, the inheritance is there. All you got to do is choose to pick it up. Open the package and walk in the newness of life. The Holy Spirit will be available just by believing that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Oh, from the ground? He raised him up, just like from the garden. And he gave him life. Do you have that life? So the testimony of the Bible. I Go to uh, Numbers 13. Is that correct? Yeah, Numbers 13. I'm, I, I might be all over the place. It's fun. It's fun, but, but I was doing a study on this, and we'll get back to our text. I mean, really, our text, think about it for just a momentarily. Uh, I am the true vine, right? The genuine vine, the real deal, the perfect testimony, the perfect witness, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect light. We're going to see in a minute, and we'll go and talk to you. This is the last of the seven I am's that are in the book of John, right? But the nation of Israel was God's firstborn, we're told in Deuteronomy. The nation of Israel, because of Ur of Chaldean, because of Abraham. It's the firstborn nation, the firstborn witness, the firstborn that was supposed to be a light on every hill. And where they went and what they did was supposed to be an example to all the people watching. Wow, their God lives in them, in their nation. Pay attention to this because it's all going to come into the vine here in a minute. Because God's always been doing the same thing. And he has to bring it down to one perfect witness, one perfect sacrifice, one perfect God dying for all of us. And then if you believe it, he gives you his spirit and comes inside of you and turns it into a garden and begins to turn over your heart's soil and plant his word in it and grow a crop that looks like love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if that grows in you, it has to come out of you so that other people will hear the witness and the testimony of Jesus Christ and come to salvation. That's all of it in a nutshell. But look here in 13. I was loving it. I'm watching it. Uh, Same thing happening. God protecting and providing for his nation. They became like 76 people. What did they happen to them? They went down to Egypt they, because of a famine. There was a famine in the land. They end up in Egypt. And where are they at? They're in Goshen, which means draw near. They're separated from. There's a whole kingdom there. There's a whole nation there. But God's people are in the world, but not of the world. And they're drawing near to God in Goshen. Right? And they're there for 430 years, and then God brings them out just like he promised. He's promised he's coming to take us home. And don't get confused. See, there's the promised, PR with a D on the end of it, promised land, and then there's the promise of God. The promises is heaven. They're not the same. There's sin in the promised land, but in heaven there's no sin. He makes all things new to newness of life. But when he brings them out, he takes them into the wilderness and he gives them a choice again. Let's listen to these two voices. God said, here's the promised land and you get to go in and all the provisions there, the land of milk and honey. But what happens in 13 of Numbers is that first Moses sends out these spies. How many spies, Greg? I'm glad you asked. There's 12. There's one that represents each nation. How many of them? How many of them didn't listen to God? Ten. I'm glad you asked that. But two listened to God. 
See, because there's getting ready to be, we're going to see the 10 and the 2 is everywhere. 10 is how many were lying voices and wouldn't believe God. And we're going to have a confederacy of 10 nations really soon on the planet. And then there's still going to be two voices in this big garden or graveyard, whichever you want it to be. There's still going to be two voices. God's voice and then the lying, earthly, central, demonic wisdom of the government that's being led by the Antichrist that's trying to steal your inheritance. And you have to decide, am I going to obey God and keep my inheritance and bear fruit worthy of repentance? Or am I going to listen to the world and be entangled with the affairs of this life and not please God who enlisted me to be a soldier? Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's doing. He enlisted us. He called us. He gives us a privilege to be involved with him in this angelic conflict that he's already won. The enemy is defeated. The battle's your mind. Are you going to choose God's word or another voice as Adam and Eve had to choose from? And every one of us now has a garden where his word needs to be planted. Look at the parable of the sower. What happened? Well, God planted the word. And what happened with the enemy? The enemy come in and planted tares in the wheat. He planted another voice. He planted something that looked like the kingdom of God, but had nothing to do with the spirit of God. Listen to me. So when you get to Numbers they go in, they come back. Look at it, Numbers 20, 13, 23. I love this because don't miss the fruit. Thirteen twenty-three. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol and there cut down a branch. Listen, we just read John 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. With one cluster of grapes, there's some fruit. Do you guys know that the grape and the olive are closely related? They're two different distinct groups, but they are closely related, all from the Mediterranean, from the same region. That's where they get their origin from. Anyway, uh, here's grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Anybody know what that means? That's Jesus hanging on a pole with a person on each side of him. He is the fruit from the grave. This is what they found when they went into the promised land. They're carrying it back on their shoulders. The witness of the cross of Jesus Christ and the fruit of the resurrection from the grave. And it's so big, two of them have to carry it, you can't even comprehend it. Now, I don't know what the, who the two guys were. Was it Joshua and Caleb? Let me give you my opinion. I think it was. Why? Because Joshua is Jesus, the Lord's salvation, and Caleb is dog. He's the one worshiping, and they're supporting and witnessing and carrying the fruit of the cross because you must bear fruit if the Holy Spirit's in you because when God's involved, He gives life. And if He's turning over your heart and putting His seed and His word in there and you're not bearing fruit, you have to be saying, Talk to the hand and not to me. You have to be saying no to God. And only a fool would say no to God. 
yet we've done the same thing that the nation of Israel's done, and we've developed a system that completely takes over the governance of it, and God is no longer the governor of His own church. God is no longer the governor of our lives. God is no longer leading us by the power of the Spirit. We're following programs. And we're apostate, just like the nation of Israel did. What happened when Jesus came into the room? They killed him. Instead of listening to him, they killed him. That's what death culture is all about. That's what the devil wants to steal our inheritance. So how does he do that? He kills Jesus. He kills our fruit. He kills our lives. He kills the voice of God from us. He kills the spirit of God away from us. But it's our choices that do it. It's never going to be. You can't blame it on the devil. He's just the one tempting you, trying you, testing you, sending. And you have to make the choice. And you have the truth. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. And if you stay in the vine, it will automatically bear fruit of righteousness. Right living before God. It is expected. The nation of Israel died Oh, they're still here because God's got to finish His work. You can read about it in chapter 11. Go read about it in chapter 11 of Romans. What an amazing, amazing testimony that Paul gives there about the nation of Israel being broken off, the branch broken off, and then us, the Gentiles, wild, grafted into the vine by faith through Abraham. And if we don't bear fruit, he says, don't get haughty because he can break you off. And if he can break, graft in a wild olive branch, why can he not graft back in the original olive tree? See, that's what, and it's all about peace. We adopt that as peace because it's all about what God's work is, is peace. So anyway, when you get here, you have a picture of them. They, they see the fruit. They're carrying the fruit. They love the fruit, but they won't believe God. And what do they do? They spend 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years and they bear fruit of Sodom and Gomorrah is what it says in um, 32.9 of Numbers. It's, 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 it's rotten fruit. It's unworthy fruit. It's wild grapes we can look at. I'm going to keep going. Let me, let me just show you this really quick and we'll back up. I'm going to do two things. First go to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, and then we're going to come back and look at, at uh, 1 Kings. But I want you to see this. It's in the Bible everywhere. It's a garden. It's a graveyard if you're not listening because it's going to be wild grapes. It's going to be wild fruit. It's not going to be the fruit that's created by the Spirit of God in a relationship with God, in the garden of God, for the glory of God, because we listen to the wrong word and we put the wrong word in our heart and it grows the wrong fruit. It's not fruits of righteousness. It's fruit that looks like a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. Look at Isaiah 5, just quickly. I just want you to establish the fact that God even says that He planted the vineyard. He planted the garden. He allowed this to happen. Now let me sing to my well-beloved, Isaiah 5.1, a song of my beloved regarding His vineyard. Oh, he, God has a vineyard? My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. Look at that. It's on a very fruitful hill. It expects to bear fruit. It's on a fruitful hill. He's done everything for it. 
There's no way for it not to bear fruit if you abide in him and listen to him. It has to bear fruit. And you don't have to have noise. Will you ever see a tree growing? You ever see, you know, like, like I got grape barbers in the backyard and I go look at them and just stare at them. I'm like waiting for them to go pop because I'm about ready to pop. Okay. But you don't see it, but it happens and it matures and it grows because it's attached to the vine. Go break it off the vine and it will not grow anything. It will die. And this is about life. And why is people dying? Why is the church dying? I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritual. But ultimately, it's physical. Because if you're born once, you're going to die twice. And if you're born twice, you're only going to die once. Listen to me. Born once in water through your mother, and you're born with the inheritance of Adam and Eve who disobeyed God. And in their garden, it's death that is growing. Because the devil's stealing their inheritance. They had an inheritance in the garden, walking with God daily. Everything, dominion over all of it. And they listened to a lie. And they planted that lie in their heart. And it began to grow. And they walked away from God. Listen to me. And then Jesus comes. And he dies. He's planted in the ground in God's garden. And he resurrects. He gets up. And grows because unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it remains alone. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. Everybody knows that germination. You plant gardens, you know about germination. You didn't plant corn and go, man, there's beans everywhere. But see, there's an enemy that comes out and puts weeds out there and tears out there. And they don't need any Holy Spirit to grow. All they need is some soil. Rocks in it, it doesn't matter. Weeds will grow on your top of your house. They'll grow in your shingles. Weeds grow anywhere. But when you listen to Jesus, you're reborn. You're born twice now. And you're only going to die once in the physical. You're never going to die again spiritually. You're always going to be attached to God because it becomes a marriage. And the two become one in marriage by the Spirit of God, which dwells in you and marries your spirit. But he comes back in now, and now he's in the garden, and he's turning over the fallow ground of your heart. And he's saying, boy, that's rocky there. You're really hard and mad about those bitter things that happen in your life. you got to turn them loose. Let me grind that up, and I'll take this rock and turn it into dirt. And it'll be good dirt, good soil, so the seed of my word can fall on it, and it can grow fruit out of it. And he begins to, to do that if you let him. But you have a choice. You can say, no, I choose to be mad at them. I choose to have that hard heart. This is wrong. They should have never done that. And he says, oh, if you don't forgive them, I can't forgive you. See, because you're allowing your heart to stay hard. See, we got to understand these things. It's not something that God is doing and going, I ain't going to forgive you, nana, nana, boom, boom. No, you are rejecting God so he can't turn the rock over and make it into soil that will grow fruit. When you choose to hang on to your hurt and your pain and your suffering, instead of choosing to die and bear much fruit. When you die and say, I don't have a right because I was a sinner. There's none righteous. No, not one. We are all in the same place, in the same boat, if you want to talk about Noah. Guess what? Even on Noah's boat, there was clean and unclean when the door opened. In God's house, there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. 
It's all the same testimony. It's all the same witness of what God wants to do to save his people and allow them to have an inheritance and a fellowship with them. But he allows the devil to steal your inheritance if you want to choose to follow his word because his word is going to bring death. His word will go in there and be and grow on that rock. That hard heart, it will grow. I don't care. I believe this and I'm going to follow it. Really? How's that working out for you? How about just resting and receiving the truth of the word of God and grow and bear more fruit and don't get mad when he starts to prune you. We'll get to that here soon. I was walking with Michael and he's like, well, just, I go, I don't know anything about these trees. Your mom wanted them all and I don't care nothing about them. I'd live in a little shack. And he goes, well, just cut the ones that are looking down, that are trying to get down to the earth. That's what God does. When he prunes you, he's cutting everything that's still looking down here instead of looking up where your inheritance is at. Because your eyes are on down here and you should be walking by faith and looking up there. And it grows upward. Fruit grows upward, onward and upward. Paul said, forget that which is behind you and press on toward the higher call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget looking at the dog that bit you and cut it off. Forgive it and move on and grow and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Don't let the devil or you, your own hard heart and sin, choose not to grow. Because it's your choice. Nobody will be going to hell because of God. It will be because of their choices that they made. They're going to reap the fruit that they chose in this garden. And they're going to get a grave. You've got to come out of the grave. And choose the newness of life. Look at this. Isaiah. I'm sorry. I get excited. I'm a pop. Ah, it's a fruitful hill. Listen. It's a fruitful hill. It's supposed to bear fruit. Well, what did he do? Isaiah 5.2. He dug it up. He cleared out its stones. He removed the hard surfaces, the rock and the stony ground. He cleaned it up and made it fertile. He washes it, he cleanses it, and he planted it with the choicest vine. This, this is a choice vine. It's the best vine. It's Christ. He built a tower in the midst, a watchtower. He also made a wine press in it for harvest so that he could make the wine, the new wine, John chapter 2. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. You got good soil. You got a, a fruitful hill. You got a God that knows how to till the land. It should have brought forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes, rebellion, rebellious, the sin nature. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, teaching peace and men of Judah, praise Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard? What more could God do that I have not done it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard, my garden. I will take away its hedge, its protection, and shall, it shall be burned, cast out, and break down its walls, 
again, uh, provision, protection. And it shall be trampled down. Anybody look at the nation of Israel and see how bad it's been for them? But now they're back in the land. Oh, they're fruitful, but only in a, only in a secular way. They're not fruitful in a godly way. They don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They're actually looking and getting ready to choose the Antichrist. They only believe in an earthly, central, demonic way until three and a half years into the tribulation when the Antichrist goes into the temple and says, Worship me, I'm God. Then their eyes are open. And then they can bear fruit worthy of repentance. And they flee to the mountains of Petra, which God has allowed to be prepared. That will be a walled fortress for them and protect them. So he says in six, number of man, I will lay it waste. This is what God's done to, to the nation of Israel because they rejected. They would not listen to his word. They would not obey him. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. Oh, you're not going to tend it. You're not going to take care of it. But there shall come up briars and thorns, the curse. And I will, not, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. Isn't that crazy? What did they do in Israel when they went back into the land? They developed irrigation systems. You can watch it. You can, go on you can go online and watch this. Now they export more flowers than anywhere else on the earth. But they had to come up with their own irrigation systems in order to make it a fruitful land. Their own mind, their own ways. That's why they have more Nobel Peace Prize than any other nation. But it's all in the secular. But God is still protecting them. Because he has the finished work he's going to do with them. They are the firstborn. But they're doing it in their own strength. Listen to me. If you actually look on a map, well, a map over here, over there, they don't even exist. They don't even let them be drawn on the map. But over there, you can actually see the nations that are at peace with Israel. They have green grass too. If you go to a border where they don't have peace with Israel, they're still desert. It's pretty amazing to look at. You can watch it on camera. You can see it real life. I haven't been over there, but I've seen it on uh, uh, pictures and, and video. Listen, he, he's the one that allowed them to be where they're at because they chose. They didn't want to hear God. They didn't want his spirit leading them. They chose to do their own thing and live their own way and get a king and, and, and ignore his word. And that becomes really dry. It'll make your bones hurt. It'll make them brittle. Verse 7. Isaiah 5, 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, northern tribes. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant southern tribes really there's 10 northern tribes and then there's judah and benjamin the two there's the 10 and the two that are the southern and they lasted longer maybe 100 years longer because god was protecting them he looked for justice and behold oppression for righteousness but behold a cry for help this is the nation that's why jesus is coming to say he is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser. He's the true vine. He's the genuine thing. He is the real witness because Israel adopted and became entangled and became just like the world when they passed through them. That's what's going on with the church today in apostasy. And, and Jesus says, well, I even find faith when I come. Well, when he came the first time, all he found was a cross. And they carried that fruit 
and buried him in the ground. And that fruit raised up. And now you and I can bear fruit because of Christ and the sacrifice and the salvation of God. They actually... I'm going, to, I'm going to digress. You can read yourself. You can read Hosea 10. I don't know if you know the book Hosea. Hosea means salvation. And God comes and tells Hosea to marry a harlot. But in chapter 10, you find out what's going on and how they had made their own things. They had made their, their everything was theirs. And everything that they did, they said, oh, I'm doing this for God. But they weren't doing any of it for God. They were only doing it for themselves. And they got taken away. And it didn't end well. But one day, he will bear fruit on that, fr- on that fruitful hill. Let's look at 1 Kings, uh, what did I say? 1 Kings 21. Now, I want you to see, they, they planted, they go into the promised land with a D on the end of it. Uh, it was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. When they got there, they crossed over the Jordan, which is the descender. They descended down into the promised land, and everything was already there. Remember we talked about him clearing the rocks and all that stuff? If you conquered a lamb, what you would do is you would throw rocks in the field so they couldn't bear any trees or grow any crops, and you'd mess up the whole garden that they were doing. But God had preserved it, and he didn't judge those other people until they were right there and getting ready to come over. He knew their 40 years in the wilderness. He knew their disobedience. And when they started to go in, the houses were built. The gardens were planted. Everything was ready. Everything was there. Everything was provided, which is a picture of our salvation, the promise of God, of a, sal- of a salvator coming, Jesus, and everything's there. You don't have to do anything except believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth. But if you do believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, then you become his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you would walk in them. You would be concerned about them, about why would God do this for me? Why would such a great salvation happen? Not because of who you are, but because of the spirit that is in you. And the only way that you do not bear fruit is if you just say, don't talk to me, Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear it. I want to keep going with my own plans and stay entangled and chase the silver of this world. And I want to pursue that. And you go out and it's going to stay dark. It's not going to produce any light. It's going to still be producing death unless you enter into the work of the ministry with him. What he saved you for, what he called you for was to walk in his garden and soften your heart and receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of your soul and to become a doer and not a hearer only deceiving yourself. And he'll do all the work. He gives you the power. He gives you the word. He gives you all the tools. He gives you everything that you need. But the enemy is constantly, listen, trying to lie to you and steal your inheritance. It's already yours. You're just not picking it up. So in 21 of 1 Kings, uh, we come to a place where this king, the government, who has rejected God. This is the northern tribes. It's Ahab and Jezebel, the two, the two worst king, and, and she's the, the, the king's wife. She's a Phoenician. That was a, her dad was a priest of Baal in Phoenicia, 
and she comes from that, and he married her into the world because he's entangled, and she takes over his house and his kingship, and he allows it, just like Adam did in the garden, and she becomes the boss, and she becomes the power, she becomes the strength, she becomes the might, and she's from Baal, and if you don't know who that is, that's Beelzebub, who is the Lord of the Flies, or the Lord of the Dunghill, or the Lord of Death. Because when things putrefy and they're dying, flies come. So anyway, when you get here, they've already been evil. They, there's two golden calves. They don't. They, they, they're, they're, they think they're okay. They're ignoring the word of God that comes from the prophet of God in the Old Testament. And then 21 starts like this. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to skip through it. You can go be a Berean later. But I want you to get this point. And it came to pass. Don't you love it when it comes to pass? See, because everything that's going to happen, God already said it. He's executing it, and He's going to do it. It's going to be done one day. There's going to be a judgment on whether you listen to God's Word and let it grow, or you listen to the world and was deceived and lost your inheritance that Christ came to give you back. So fast forward. We're right here. Um, 1 Kings 21. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth... The Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. And where's it at? It's next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Listen, very important. It's not in the palace. It's not in the world, but it's there, just like Goshen. It's near. It's the inheritance of Naboth. Verse 3, you'll see that. Listen to me. What does Naboth mean? It means fruits. See, we're in, a, we're in John 15. We're talking about barren fruit. Naboth is in his vineyard, and he's got fruits. What does Jezreel mean? Jezreel means what God has sown. God has sown Naboth right there in that inheritance, and it's right there next to the palace, but it's not part of the palace. And the palace, who is the government, that's no longer a serpent, but the serpent in the mind of the palace, the ruling authority, is saying, I want that inheritance, and I want that garden, and I want his fruit. I want his life. And you should see it. If you wish to read it, you would understand that, that Ahab is such a baby. He's not even leading the king. He's not even leading the ten tribes. And when Naboth says no to him, well, let's just read it. Verse 2. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Ahab means, Ahab means uh, friend of his father or uh, my father's brother. Something to that effect. And Samaria means watch mountain. These are false, Father. False watch mountain. Remember, fruitful hill, watch mountain. Samaria means watch mountain. It's for the devil to watch the inheritors and to come and attack them. And to try to steal them with lies and have that word planted in your heart. And then it grows and you think you're okay, but you're really religious and you have no relationship with God. So here it is, verse 2. So Ahab spoke... Uh, my father's friend, like, like the government's our friend, they're not. Listen, none of them. They want to be power over your life and destroy you and control you and dominate you. But they're not our enemy and we're not fighting them. We're obeying God. Because we're already called out we already have an inheritance we're not getting caught up in the physical we're about the spiritual we're about saving of souls 
Jesus never got caught up in the physical. He walked away from arguing. He said, I'm not even going up there. All they want to do is argue. I want to come outside here with you and my disciples and teach you truth so you can bear fruit. He wasn't trying to argue with the devil. He told the devil quite distinctly the word of God in Matthew 4. He didn't argue with him. He told him because he had the authority, because he chose to use the truth. So Ahab spoke, listen, because the devil's speaking loud. And he's trying to get you to hear his word and sell your soul, sell your inheritance for some of his property. He spoke to the fruits. He spoke to Naboth, which is the seed that God has planted, our lives in Jezreel, what God has planted, uh, saying, give me your vineyard. Listen, that's the only way the enemy can take your vineyard is if you just give it to him. And the only way you can receive salvation and the inheritance is if you just receive what God has already given to us. So he just, the devil just says, give me your vineyard. Give me your garden that I may have it for a vegetable garden, not fruit, vegetables. Get used to it, cricket eaters. Because it is near. Sorry. It's not in, it's near, next to my house. That's not our house, guys. We're in God's house. That's the house of the world. We have a new dwelling place, chapter 14 of John. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. I have a new religion. I have a new plan. I have a new place you can grow. Come to my world. Come down to my kingdom. Isn't that what he offered to Jesus? If you will obey me, bow down and worship me, I will give you all this land. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. What will a man give in exchange for his own soul, for his inheritance? Look at verse 3. This is what the child of God is to do. But fruits said to friend of my father, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. The Lord forbid it. Hold on to your inheritance. Hold on to Jesus. Stay abiding in the vine. Bear fruits and mature. Let him prune you. Understand that you have salvation and you're supposed to bear fruit that looks like Christ. You know, they used that the first time in um, Antioch. They called them Christians. You know why they called them Christians? Pay attention. Because they were mocking them for acting like Jesus. They were talking like Jesus, walking like Jesus because of the spirit in them, bearing fruit in them. They were concerned about people, concerned about service, concerned about souls. They were concerned and they were doing what Jesus did. And they said, you, you act like Jesus, you Christians, you're acting Christ-like. And it was a mocking term because there was obvious evidence that they were becoming like him because he was living in them and they were married to him and they were obeying him. Not perfectly, but while they were being perfected, they were growing fruit in his garden. So they began to mock them. They still do it today. If you're being really a Christ follower, you'll be mocked. Naboth protected his inheritance. 
So Ahab, verse 4, went into the house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth, because yeah, the enemy always has to flee. The devil has to flee if you use the word of God. If you stand in the truth of God, he has no power anymore. And he, he, was, he was a big baby because of what Naboth said. I will not give you my inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned his face and would not eat food. This is how big of a baby the king was. This is how big of a baby earthly government is if you don't obey them. But Jezebel, here's the new character, his wife. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? So he tells what happens. She said, here, I'll deal with it. I'll take care of it. Look at verse 7. 6, he's a big baby. 7, we have a new spirit in the room. You now exercise authority over Israel, over those governed by God. That's what Israel means. Arise. Here's the new religion. Get up out of the grave. Get up out of your bed. Eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. I will give you the fruit that God has planted next to our kingdom. Is what that says. And verse 8, new beginning. She wrote letters. She wrote letters in Ahab's name. Sealed them with his seal and set the letters to the elders and the nobles of the dwelling. Now, what did she do? Listen, look what she did. She's going to tempt Naboth. She's going to tempt the, the man that has an inheritance. He knows the word of God. He's standing there. He's keeping it. He's not letting nobody have it. And she tempts him. She says, proclaim a fast, a big celebration. These are holy days. And seat Naboth with high honor. Let him well up in his pride among the people. Listen, he took the invitation. How many invitations have you taken? Listen to me. Be very careful. Know who you are in Christ. And be careful when a ruler offers you food. Put a knife to your throat. Because his heart is not with you. His heart is against you. That ruler might be trying to get you to take 30 pieces of silver. And steal your inheritance and kill you. So proclaim a fast and then get some scoundrels. See, two scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, you have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Do you realize that's the cross? That's what they did to Jesus when they arrested him in the garden. That's where we're going. We're getting ready to go out. We're out of the upper room. We're going through lower Jerusalem. We're going to cross the brook Gadron. We're going to go into the garden. And, and they're going to put scoundrels to testify because they can't find anything wrong with him. And when they find the scoundrels, they're going to take him and crucify him and kill him that he would die. And that's our salvation. That's how we get our inheritance back when we believe that in our heart and confess it with our mouth. But here, the enemy is still in it. But he chose to go be honored instead of saying, no, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm just going to hang out with my inheritance here. I'm going to not get involved in the world. I'm not going to be entangled with the affairs of this life. If you want to celebrate over there and have a fast and do your little false religion, go ahead. But I'm over here with God 
And I'm over here with the ministry of reconciliation of souls. And I'm not going to be entangled with the affairs of this life that I might please him who enlisted me to be a soldier in his army. I know my inheritance. I know my calling. I know what I'm called to do. You might say that crazy guy plays the same songs. He gives the same message. He acts the same way. He does everything the same. That's because I know my Redeemer lives. And I ain't going nowhere. By the grace of God, I ain't going nowhere. And the last pruning I got was horrible. But I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to keep bearing fruit because he, he is the one that brings reward and he knows how to prune us. He knows how to cut back those branches that are sucker branches that are leading you to follow the enemy and be entangled and choose to have a name in this earth instead of choose to bear fruit because you're crucified with Christ. Listen, none of these texts, none of these texts said that people were sinless. We're not sinless. We're blameless because Christ took our blame. He took our punishment. There's no sinless Christians. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But there's blameless because I stand white, blameless because of Christ and his righteousness. But you have to stay and understand the inheritance. You have to find out your identity and not listen to the liar who's in charge of this world. And as soon as you see him, he'll shift and move somewhere else. And it's always being allowed by God. He's the sovereign one that allows the testing and the trying. And when you, well, let's just read it. Let's just read it in James chapter one. James chapter 1. We'll get back to our text. I know you guys are getting tired. Read your Bible. James chapter 1. What happens when you endure temptations? Blessed is the man, it's 112. Blessed is the man who endures. This is really a word for fruit. Endures temptation, testing, trying, the enemy trying to get you to sell your soul and be entangled. For when he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll send you another. The spirit of truth. Listen to me. Any voice except for God's voice is a lying voice that leads you to be entangled. And it steals your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the whole point of the do not be entangled is so that you can be pleasing to him who called you to be a soldier in the army of the living God. So, what happened? They killed him. They took his vineyard. They took his inheritance. But God was not silent. Look at verse 17. God's not silent in this. I'm moving down quickly. What does he do? He sends the word of God to judge. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. See, this is how the word was given in the old times, in the Old Testament. 
always came by the prophet, from God to the prophet, and the prophet would go out and speak it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're confronted with the sword of God and you choose to follow him or continue to disobey. It says, arise, get up, go down and meet Ahab. Now, are you kidding me? Listen to me just for a moment. When you speak against the king, you can die. But listen, you're sent by the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he knows when you're going to die. He knows when he tells you to do something, you're perfectly fine and perfectly safe until he's finished with you. You can believe it. He's the good hands, people. Arise, go down and meet Ahab. Go down and meet the earthly governments. Go to the marketplace. Oh, look, he's the king of those governed by God. And he lives on, on Watch Mountain. He's looking for those who are trying to live for God so he can get them to turn into his path and lie to them. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth. He's there in what God planted and looking at the fruits, walking all over them, where he has gone down to take possession of it. So now he's possessing the one who gives up his inheritance. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Now can you imagine the prophet of God having to go to the most powerful man on the planet and say that to him? You have to know who you serve. You have to know the sovereignty of God and that He's the one that saved you. He called you out. He's given you a word. He's given you command to go and make disciples, to go and speak out in the marketplace because it takes the word of God for people to turn. If they don't hear the truth, they will stay in the false system, listening to the government, listening to the Ahabs, following the Jezebel spirit. Listen to me. Quit worrying about your own life. If you're born again and the Spirit of God dwells in you, then He's given you gifts, talents, and abilities. He's called you for a reason, and He will also do it. But you have to get involved in what He's doing, the work and the ministry of the reconciliation of souls, and stop worrying about your place and your pomp and your pageantry and your parades and your little accolades and your PhDs and all the things that mean nothing that's going to burn. It's a wrong voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Why? Because we're married to him and he's the husbandman and we're the bride. And when you look at this text that we're in in John, the vine dresser is actually husbandman. Because Jesus is the father. The three are one. And I, and I don't even want to hear about that Jesus only thing because you can make a claim for Jesus only. You can make a claim for Father only. You can make a claim for Spirit only because God is the Spirit. You can make a claim because the Father's plan sent His Son. You can make a claim, but the three are one. They're all God. God is a Spirit. And you can't contain Him anywhere. Listen to me. So are you going to go tell the king? Well, who's the king? Just tell the world. It's underneath the sway of the wicked one. 
Just make sure they know. Draw a line in the sand. I'm living for Jesus. I don't care what you're doing. I'm not even going to argue with you. If you don't want to follow the Word of God, you keep living the way you want. But I admit, for me and my house, we will choose to live for the Lord our God. And anybody that's in my house, that's just the way it goes. Because the Word of God is real. Jesus is real. So Ahab said to Elijah, Oh, he went and he did it. You didn't even get to see that, did you? It happened. It came to him and he already did it. Verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah. You know what Elijah means? The Lord is God. Have you found me, O my enemy? Look at that. The word of God is his enemy. See, the word of God came through the prophet. Anybody that represents God is the enemy of the spirit of this world, the spirit of Antichrist, and the kingdoms of this world, and this age. Jesus came to proclaim truth. What was he proclaiming? The kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God if we believe in Jesus, and we're supposed to proclaim that same word and let it grow or die where it lays at. If God's preparing the heart, it'll grow. If it's a hard heart that's ignoring God, it'll die. We are not responsible. We're just planting and watering, and God brings the growth. And he answered, I have found you because this is the avenue, the aqueduct, the reason I'm here. You have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab, every male in Israel, both bond and free, I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Boy, you don't want that. And like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocations with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel, those governed by God, to sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall. Jezebel means Baal exalts. Listen, listen. Jezebel means this. Baal is my husband. It means one without cohabitation. It means one that's not married to Christ and underneath the authority of God, but married to the Antichrist system. Unchaste. See, when you marry Christ, you become a chaste virgin. When you marry Bell, you're unchaste. There's nobody in authority over you, and you're doing what you want, when you want, how you want, and you're not listening to the Word of God. We are all under authority. The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Listen, God's in control. This all happens, actually. You can go about and read about it in 2 Kings uh, nine. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness. We're at in the sight of the Lord. Why did he do it? Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. That's pretty interesting thought there. Listen to me. No one who I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath wickedness, is what first John five nineteen says. No one did more wickedness than Ahab, the friend of my father. He comes and whispers in your ear some other word.
And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words, listen to me, you've got to pay attention. There's hope. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Listen to me. If you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will give you mercy and grace. I don't care how chief a sinner you think you were. I don't care how long you've rejected him. While there's still hope and blood running through your veins and the oxygen breathing into your lungs, while you still call today, today, today is the day for salvation to choose to repent, humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. He will grow you up right out of the ground. He brings everything from down low and brings it up. Oh my goodness, I'm going to pop. Go back to John 15 and we'll close up. I'm not going to keep you here, but for two hours, that's it. So with that background, with that thought, with that understanding and Christ leading them out of the upper room now in 15, they're going to go and go to the garden again. That's where he's leading us to, guys, so we can bear fruit. But what happens when he's in the garden again? The enemy comes to attack and scatters them all and they flee. They strike the shepherd and they flee. I had another text that called him the shepherd. Where's that at? Psalms 80. Go to Psalms 80 first. Let's go to Psalms 80. Good stuff. Listen, this is all through the Bible. This is not something that is just made up by man. This is God's testimony hidden everywhere, not just in the Word of God, but in creation. All creation testifies. What about God's people? Are we going to testify? Psalms 80. This is good. Give ear, O shepherd, of those governed by God. Oh, my sheep hear my voice. You who lead Joseph like a flock, he will add. That's what Joseph means. He will add, you, will dwell between the, you who dwell between the cherubim shine forth light of the world before Ephraim, fruitful. Benjamin, strength of my right hand or my old age. Manasseh, forgetful. I don't have any of these written down, but those are amazing words. Listen to me. Are, do you guys know what the names mean? Learn them. This is when, ja when Jacob was taken down to Egypt. That's his children there. His first fruit came out, and what was it? Manasseh, which means forgetful. And his second child was Ephraim, which means fruitful. So you forget that which is behind you when God rescues you and brings you out of darkness, and, and you begin to grow fruit worthy of repentance, and you become fruitful. Even though you're not in the, or excuse me, even though you're not living for the world, you're in the world. You're drawing near to God, Goshen. But be careful if the world owns you and not Christ. There will be no fruit. It'll be death. It'll be wild grapes. I'm still rebellious. I still don't want to listen to them. Be at peace with all men as far as you are able. The Lord's bomb person is not quarrelsome. 
These are things that I'm learning. I hope you guys are learning them. Uh, 80 and 2. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Oh, this is all about salvation. Three times, verse 3. Three times, verse 3 is repeated in Psalms 80. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine. That's his favor, grace, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? What? Let's read that again. Verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, his planet, he's hosting us. How long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? Huh. God mad at your prayers? Praying amiss? Praying for your own selfishness? Praying so you can be entangled? Are you praying for souls? You have fed them with the bread of tears. He's not mad. He tenders us with tears. And given them tears to drink in great measure, he's got our tears in a cup in heaven. And our prayers. One day he's going to wipe them all away. You have made us a strife to our neighbors. This is the, uh, the nation of Israel. And our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Here he is. He repeats this theme. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your grace, your face to shine upon us, your favor, and we shall be saved. We shall be delivered. God is the deliverer. Turn to him. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. This is the testimony. You prepared room for it, or the word room is in italics, so you prepared for it and caused it to take deep root. See, sometimes the tears breaks up the hardened ground. It can take deep root. Good word on good soil takes deep root and it lasts. God knows what he's doing when you're crying, when you're going through pain and suffering. And filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadows and the mighty cedars and its bows. She sent out her bows to the sea, the Mediterranean, and her branches to the river, Euphrates. Now, look at the question. Verse 12, the question the psalmist asks, Why have you broken down her hedges, her protection, so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit they steal her fruit, her inheritance. The, bo the boar out of the woods uproots it, wild animals. And the wild beast of the field devours it. Look, the fruit is being taken. It's being devoured. There's no walls again is the, the poetry going on here. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. They're crying out to God for help. That's what sometimes pain is for. That's what the fire is about. That's what chastisement it is. That's what pruning becomes if you look to the right place. And they know where to cry out to. They know where their help comes from. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. Isn't that amazing poetry? Written by the Spirit of God through the hand of Asaph. It's a testimony of Asaph. And the, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted. Christ is his mighty right hand. And the branch that you have made strong for yourself. 
It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself. That's talking of Christ. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name, your character, your nature, your will. And then he repeats it for the third time. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Listen, this is what the church needs to plead about today. The apostate church that's ignoring the word of God, that's out there becoming political pundits, and they're entangled in the world, they're chasing saving nations and saving everything but souls, and they're arguing and fighting and bickering and becoming known as a bunch of corrupt people. Instead of growing fruit worthy of repentance and looking Christ-like and having mercy and grace on people, the testimony is ugly of the church today. And that's what the enemy wants to do is get us caught up in a physical fight and ignore the Spirit of God who says, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus comes and says this about the nation of Israel who's getting ready to crucify him, arrest and beat and mock and spit on him. He says, I am. That's the seventh I am, right? There's seven of them in the book of John. You have the first one. He said, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 10, 7, I am the door of the sheep. 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. No way to rise up out of the grave and have life unless you come to Jesus. 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And right here, the last one, I am the true vine. I'm Not just I am the vine, but he's the genuine vine. He's the real thing. He is the salvation. He is the Messiah. He is the truth. He is the real witness. He is the real testimony. He's the real deal. Not the nation of Israel who was apostate and kills him. Not the apostate church who wants to to, to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Not the apostate church that wants you to get involved in all the politics and entangled in the world. But Jesus says, I'm going to the grave to die. Are you going to follow me? If you do, I'll give you my spirit and you'll bear fruit. If not, I'll lift you up. Listen, every one of those I am claims has a definite article that there's no place else to look. They are pointing at Jesus. Now, Jesus is not a vine. It's a metaphor. Just as a vine, a grapevine, is expected when planted and cultivated and taken care of like the nation of Israel, is expected to bear good grapes. You don't want to go out and find sour wild grapes. So the church who says, I'm a Christian, is is expected to look like Christ, to act like Christ, to be concerned about souls like Christ, to be crucified like Christ, to lay their life down like Christ, to know the Word of God and the plan of God and be able to tell people about it. Because they're in the vine. They're part of it. They're in the Word. They're growing. They're looking at what God is doing and listening to His voice and not the liar who's trying to steal your inheritance because He's in your garden. He's in your heart. Well, that all diligence for out of it flow all the issues of life. 
This is where God wants is your heart. All of it, not part of it. So he says he's the true vine. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve were told to do? Be fruitful and multiply. In the spirit, when you're reborn, you're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Win disciples. That's what we're called to do. That's it. Nothing else. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples. Why? Because I have all authority. It's my garden. I've overcome the world. He's the truthful vine. He's the genuine vine. Here's what it said in the, uh, when I looked it up. That which has not only the name, but the real nature corresponding to the name. Listen, the vine, the genuine. He doesn't just says, I'm a Christian and take the name of the Lord in vain. I'm married to Jesus and we take the name in vain. I'm married to so-and-so, you take their name. And if you don't stay married and come under the authority of, then you've taken the name in vain. And God hates divorce. It's just that simple. But he forgives all sin. But he hates divorce. And so many people say, I'm married to Christ and they take the name in vain because there's no fruit. There's no Christ-likeness. There's no planting of thyself dying, but there's a whole bunch of selling our soul for whatever Nabal, or excuse me, whatever Ahab will offer us, whatever Jezebel will say, I'll give you. Let me go chase the world and become part of it and be entangled instead of living in the world, but not of the world. Knowing that our inheritance is perfectly safe in Christ. Our riches are in heaven. This is not our home. We're mere pilgrims here, passerbyers. We're the aliens they're coming after. Wake up, church. It's time to wake up and Christ will give you light. Rise from the dead and see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools that say no to God, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Find out what the will of God is for your life, for the church. And be always be filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Being thankful in all things because of Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Easy to talk about, hard to do. I am the true vine. The nation of Israel blew it. Listen, we repeat it. The word of God we must return to because of the perilous times. The spirit of God and the word of God washing the child of God so that you can lift up the son of God and he draws men to himself. All men that are supposed to be saved because the church has done the same thing that Israel did. They stopped listening to the word of God and they began to listen to the lie of the enemy and they began to create their own religion, their own churches, their own ways and they're right there with God right there and they would crucify him. He's going to come the second time and many will miss him again because they're living in the world entangled and their heart is not for God Love the Lord your God with all. How much is all? 
You get a calculator, check all on there. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not some of it. Not say one prayer. Well, who is God? Find out what the will of God is. Find out who He is. He's revealed Himself. Know that the enemy is trying to rob, kill, and destroy you and take your inheritance and destroy your fruit, which looks like love. And, it, and it's a grape cluster carried on a stick. And it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such there is no law. And my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman. Georgos is the Greek word. Georgos. Strong 41. Oh, G41. Georgos. Georgos. It means a land worker. It means a farmer. You know what? You know what Noah did when he stepped out of the out of the ark? Genesis 9.20, and Noah became a farmer and planted a vineyard. What happened, though? What happened? Remember what happened? Noah became a farmer, the one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord, made it through new beginning, eight of them on an ark. He becomes a farmer. He plants a vineyard. And what did he do? He took some of the grapes and made wine and got drunk and laid down and was naked. And created a whole, one of his sons saw him like that and it caused them to die. But it was him that drank the wine. Don't miss it. God's grace is sufficient, just like with righteous Lot. You can say, well, his daughters got him drunk. He let his daughters get him drunk. He made a choice, he chose to lose his inheritance. Oh, no, he's saved. He just lost all the fruit of his life. Think about it. The choices have consequences. My buddy always just says, I, I say, what are you doing? He goes, oh, just making the next right choice. He's, that's what he always says. Well, that's, a good, that's a good plan. They have forefront, next right choice. What do I do, Holy Spirit? What next, Holy Spirit? Lead me because if I lead myself, I'll give my inheritance away for a bowl of soup because the flesh gets hungry. That's what Esau did. And then when it was time to repent, he couldn't find any. Even in tears, he couldn't find any repentance before God. No inheritance. The father is the vine dresser. He's the one watching over. He's the one who wrote the plan. He's the one taking care of the vineyard that was planted by Christ when he died. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. See, we have no problem with that when we go to work and we go, come on, I ain't had a pay raise forever. And we want more, we want more wages for what we're doing. But now when God starts to try to prune us back and give us more fruit, more maturity, make the vine more, more pleasing... To everybody who's watching it, we get mad. Well, God must be mad at me because that sure hurt and that was bad and that was a surprise. No, he's pruning. 
He's purging because we're still looking down instead of up. We're looking for our hope down here. We're entangled down here. So he starts to cut off. I don't know why they fired me. It was becoming your God. Your hope was in your paycheck. Happens. Believe me. But if you don't bear fruit, it actually says, um, every branch in me, notice, notice they're in Christ, in the vine. Remember that. Just remember that. Because Israel was the vine, and he cut them off. They were the olive tree. He cut them off. He hasn't done away with them. All Israel that's supposed to be saved will be saved, but they'll be saved through the vine. They have to come to Jesus, the Messiah. Every branch in me This is the first usage of it. Every branch in me, and, and it's the, the Greek preposition en, and me, um, it, it means what I possess, that which I have. Does he have your heart? Are you in Christ? Do you believe he's the Messiah? Then every branch in me, it's expected you to bear fruit. And the only way you can do it is by being still and abiding in the vine. Just abide. You can't go out and bear fruit by doing anything. But if you are bearing fruit of righteousness by spending time with Christ in the word, prayer, and fellowship, you will most definitely want to be involved in the salvation of souls because that's what His Spirit's doing. That's what the witness is about. That's what the testimony is in this grand courtroom is to tell people that there's no other name but by which men can be saved but in the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a whole lot of stuff that people do that make mud, mud pies is what I like to call them. They stir up the water. They go out and they chase everything other than souls because they've listened to the lie of Ahab and Jezebel and they want to make a name for themselves. This is my ministry. This is my church. This is my uh, a program. I did this. I did that. Really? then you got a big problem with your fruit. You're being deceived. Because everything that I'm doing, everything that I want to do, Christ did. And I want to testify of that. It's dangerous when you start saying, I, 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 instead of I am, I am, I am. Or who am I, like David said. Who am I? Are you bearing fruit? Oh, sometimes you don't notice fruit. Be careful. Listen, if you get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, you confess your sin and you die to what you were doing, your own desires, I guarantee you'll bear fruit of Christ's likeness. But you have to see that that's important to do if you're really in Christ. That that's what the Spirit of God would come in to do was to wash and to cleanse and to prune and to, and to get back with all the flesh and cut it away and let the true vine of Israel grow in you instead of the rebellious false vine that becomes apostate and kills its own Messiah. Religion. 
I'm just going to stop there and we'll start with verse 2 next week and keep moving. But I would encourage you to read John 15. I would encourage you to think about fruit. Your soul first, which is becoming Christ-like. And if you become Christ-like, you'll want to lay down your life so that souls can be saved. And that's the ministry of reconciliation. And if you become a believer priest, then you're going to be the one that wants to serve and wash feet and love so that there'll be an example for people to see so that they can become like Christ. And it doesn't matter what they do. What matters is is what we do. How they respond is not up to us. Even when people reject Jesus, he stays love. Even when people reject Jesus, he stays true. Even when people reject Jesus, he still is exactly who he said he is. He does not change. And if we're becoming Christ-like, we should not change. And pay attention to this one. We'll talk about it next week in verse 3. You are. Anytime you see you are, that's personal between you and God. You are. That's who you are in Christ, your identity. If it says we are, it's the whole body of Christ together and the believers working together. But you are already clean. That's a positional sanctification. Because of the word. That's the seed that's planted in your garden. Are you letting it grow? Are you letting God cultivate it? We'll talk about it next week. But I, I, I think we've covered enough this morning, even though I would love to go on and on and on and on and on. I'm going to digress and encourage you to spend time asking the Holy Spirit to give you a hunger for the Word of God and give you eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church and, and really pray about what am I entangled in and what am I selling my soul for? Why am I not entered into, if I'm not, the salvation, the ministry of reconciliation of souls? Because that's why we're still here to be a witness so that other people would come to salvation. It's not about being a rock star. It's not about being a, a big church or a preacher. It's not about being noticed. It's about dying. And coming low and lifting Jesus up, not ourselves. Because that's what he did. He had everything, all the fruit, all the power. And he came and became nothing. So that he could be lifted up. Where one day every knee will bow. Every knee. Some of them won't want to, but they will be forced to. I believe they'll be begging for another chance that's not going to be given. But the others will be bowing because they're worshiping now. So they'll still be worshiping then. Because that's the fruit you grow. Father, thank you that we reap what we sow. And Lord, forgive us and give us grace and mercy for things that we've sown in the past. We know you forgive us and you make us white as snow. But give us a desire to go and bear fruit worthy that people see we've changed our mind and that's not us anymore. We've repented and we're bearing fruit worthy of your life, worthy to look like you. And we know that that fruit produces the evidence of a living sacrifice so that we can do your good and perfect will. 
Lord, give us wisdom so that we don't listen to Ahab and Jezebel and let them steal our inheritance. Help us to be those that worship you in spirit and truth. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear?